and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership Podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Well, episode four is called The Conundrum of Calling, and we've learned so far that Moses, if he's going to press into his calling, first of all, has to be the person that he was created to be. He has to belong to the one who created him Mm -hmm. in the first place. And then, and only then, is he able to do what he's called Mm -hmm. to do. So Ruth, I'm going to start Mm -hmm. with this delicious question, I think. Mm. And it is, what is God saying to you these days, uh, Ruth Haley Barton? <laughs> you? About your own calling. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. <laughs> Steve Weins. Uh, well, that's a great question, especially after what we talked about in the last episode, because we talked about um, us here in the Transforming Center discerning a future, discerning vision for the future, but realizing that we couldn't do it without some additional organizational leadership. And so... One of the things that we've been aware of is that what we all agree on as being my best contribution here in the Transforming Center has been in some ways compromised by the fact that we haven't had the right additional leadership to to lead with me. Um, And so one of the things I'm really clear about right now and have been for a while is, number one, I'm not traveling as much as I have in the past. And that comes from an important part of who I am, which is that I have a lot of family around here. Um, My daughter's Um, I have many grandchildren that all live right here. I have aging parents. My mom just passed away, and um, I was able to really be with her and walk with her in her last days because I had stopped traveling so much. And it's just a desire and a longing that I have had to stop traveling and to be more present in the life that God has given to me. And so that has to do with just literally who I am as a a mother and as a a person who wants to be present in my family in a certain way. So sometimes our calling can be understood by just looking at the realities of our life because we hope, we believe, I hope, that God has given us a life that he's given to us. And part of receiving the life that God has given to us is to be in that life and not keep leaving our lives, you know? So that that has been a really good thing. And I've had to make those decisions by staying in touch with who I really am and what my heart longs for um, in the most important ways. And then we also feel really strongly that my best contribution in the Transforming Center is to keep writing and to keep doing content development. And I have, I've, it's taken me three years to finish one book. I just finished it. Um, and while I'm glad to have finished a book, it shouldn't have taken that long. And the reason it took that long is because I've been providing more organizational leadership than actually having time to write. So um, not only for myself to know that, when I'm writing, I feel like I'm doing exactly what God has made me to do that I'm in right relationship with God when I'm writing. And when I'm not writing, I'm sad and I'm mm. discouraged in my spiritual life. And I feel like I'm not fully living as the person that God created me to be when I'm not having enough time to do writing. Um, and our whole board agrees with that. Everyone around me agrees with that. And that's a great gift that we've all agreed on that together. So the coming of a chief operations officer, which is how Rob will be serving us, is actually um, in part about are being in touch with what we believe God's call in my life is. And I've been waiting for a while for this, and I am excited and um, anticipating this being a really good change for me. Um, also, I I do feel 
called to a bit more of a quieter life than what I've been living um, in the past number of years. I mean, I have been at this for 15 years and living a life that is extremely multifaceted and hard on the introverted soul that I am. And, and I'm not as young as I was either. So even to pay attention to what I can do physically now that I, you know, I can't do the late nights that I used to be able to do. I, I, I'm tired when I finish retreats and it takes me longer to bounce back. And so again, I'm living within who I really am right now at this stage of my life, in my body, in my personality, in who God has created me to be, this is what's possible. Somebody else at this age and stage could possibly do it differently, but this is me. I have to own who I am and who God has created me to be and be a creature in God's presence. Um, so all of that feels really solid and healthy and good spiritually, and that God is meeting me and, and meeting us in the place of these kinds of knowings. Ruth, I like that for at least two reasons. There's many reasons. Mm -hmm. But number one, that you notice that as we age, mm -hmm. we are li mm -hmm. certain limitations present themselves, right. which we cannot ignore. Mm -hmm. And if we do ignore them, then everybody loses. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I. But then secondly, you, you, you said something, um, I'm being invited to live a quieter life. Mm -hmm. And that shimmered for me. Mm -hmm. And listeners might think, how do I get permission to do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you get permission to do that? I believe so deeply in how God speaks to us within our desires um, that I'm willing to trust that. That's a desire that's been there for a long time now. And so I trust that God places desires within our hearts that he longs to meet. And sometimes we have to make brave choices. Um, so part of... Why I feel drawn to a quieter life, though, is because I'm doing so much teaching and speaking and retreat leading within the Transforming Center. And what I've noticed is that I've been spending so much time on organizational leadership that I don't come into retreats as prepared as I used to come into them. I don't come in as rested as I used to come into them. I don't come in um, as prayerfully as I used to because the rest of my life is, is so big and busy. And I don't even think that's glorifying to the Lord, you know. And so part of it is what I, what I feel God calling me back to, you know, and that is a saner way of doing what I do because our retreats are huge mm -hmm. for me. I speak five to seven times mm -hmm. um, in them. More than that, really, because yeah. you think about the last session, you always give that powerful sermon yeah. as we mm -hmm. leave. So, And there's always a lot of... You know, we lead communities. We don't just mm -hmm. lead workshops. And right. so there's always relational stuff going on. There's always pastoral care. There's always discernment and wisdom around how our team is to function together. And I leave it all in the field every time I do a retreat. And so I believe God wants me to honor my age and stage and to keep doing that. We all want me to keep doing that. But to have to have some of the organizational leadership fall to someone else so that I can come into those better and able to hold more. So when people notice that I'm tired, that's that's not the way that's not what I that's not what people should be seeing in my face when they come to a retreat. So that's just a really, you know, open and honest answer about what I'm hearing God say to me in yeah. my life these days and believing that the desires and also the knowledge of limitations and things like that. Um, are places in which God really does speak. I think that's part of what God was saying to Moses, 
you know, mm. through Moses to the Israelites in, in Deuteronomy 30. The wisdom that you're looking for, it's not up in heaven yes. that you have to send someone over to get it. It's not across the ocean. It's in your heart and in your mouth. It's in your body. Your tiredness tells you something, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, listen to it. And I feel very hopeful and very much like when we do that, we are glorifying the God who created us. I agree. So I hear you saying it's part about paying attention to desire Mm -hmm. because there was this desire Mm -hmm. in you. You have grandkids and Mm -hmm. to live a quieter life and you could Mm -hmm. name that. And you trusted that over time you've learned to trust Mm -hmm. that that probably comes from God. Mm -hmm. It's also about paying attention to what's happening in your body Mm -hmm. and how that's telling you. Um, some of what God is leading mm-hmm. you into. So it's yeah. so even that is multifaceted. So uh, this episode is called The Conundrum of Calling. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get to this thing you write about. Mm-hmm. Um, you write about the fatal question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah. Well, the psychologist Carl Jung makes this observation. He says that to the extent that a man or a woman is untrue to the law of his or her being, and does not rise to personality, which I think he would be using the word personality as we're using like ego? essential self. No, oh, essential self. Right, right, right. If you don't rise to to become your essential self, um, that person has failed to realize his life's meaning. Fortunately, in her kindness and patience, nature never puts the fatal question as to the meaning of their lives into the mouths of most people. Hmm. In other words, not everyone grapples with the question of what is the ultimate meaning of my life. Many people make it through life without ever having to grapple with the question. Um, And where no one asks, no one needs answer. So I'm not saying that everyone is going to be called to answer the fatal question of what is the meaning of their life and what is their essential self and how can they live it out. But for those of us who do hear that question, we have to answer it. Um, and w- when we don't answer it, I, there's a sense of dis-ease. There's a sense of sadness that we're not living up into what it is that God has created us to be. And I think that's the sadness that I feel when I'm not giving enough priority to my writing is that I know that that is the most essential thing. Um, And when I'm not creating enough space in my life and I'm not ordering my life around that, I'm not rising, I'm not rising to be the person that God has created me to be. Um, And that's a serious, that's a serious dilemma, you know, for a person. So when we talk about calling, we're asking people to really pay attention to who they fundamentally are. Do you see? Mm -hmm. Um, Writing is the way I've made sense of life since I was very young. It, It is the essential thing, you know, that and probably retreat leadership and spiritual direction where I actually hold people in a spiritual process with presence. Um, that's what I need to be about within the limits of of my life, you know. So the fatal question is when you hear it, mm-hmm. which is what is the essential meaning of my life? What is it that I should be putting my energy toward? Mm-hmm. Exactly. We have to have mm-hmm. the courage and the yeah. space and the resources to answer it. Right. Well, and I think Jeremiah is a great example of that in you know an Old Testament prophet yeah. where God had given this call to him. He was called to be a prophet and he was called to be an odd prophet. You know, remember? He yeah. was called to actually be the symbol and to actually do these odd things so that people would get his message. 
Um, he was the weeping prophet because yeah. the, the message that God put in him, he felt it so deeply that he literally wept the tears for the people. And he got tired of being that person. It got really hard to be the prophet that God had called him to be. So there was this point in his life where he says, I am not going to do this anymore. I am so tired of doing this. I was duped. I thought this was going to be a lot more fun than it is. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. And it says that when he refused to be the person, the prophet that God had, had called him to be, he said, it was like a fire shut up in my bones and I cannot. In other words, I cannot not do what God has called me to do. It's impossible for me to contain it. I think that's the person wrestling with the fatal question is that this calling, not only is it what I'm called to do, but it's hard sometimes. It's a sacrifice sometimes. It makes me a laughing stock sometimes. But when I try not to do it, when I try to walk away from who I fundamentally am, it's like a fire shut up in my bones and I cannot. So that's the person wrestling with the fatal question. And that takes a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to the next question, and that is, how is calling different than vocation? Oh, I love that question because I think that what's happened in our current milieu over the last 30 or 40 years is that becoming a pastor or a person in ministry has been seen as a career. Right. And you got to remember, I'm a pastor's kid. So I was a pastor's kid in a different age when it was clearly a calling and people sacrificed and they did not make big salaries and they didn't even own their own homes because they lived in parsonage. This is my life. That's the life I saw in my own dad. We didn't, you know, we lived in a parsonage. We dressed out of the missionary barrel. I mean, the, the, the calling to ministry was a sacrifice. It was a calling that you said yes to no matter what. Um, It wasn't the career that it is today where it's always, you know, more and bigger and better and I'll leave this calling to go there and, you know, a bigger church has called me so I'm going to go there and, you know, I'm always seeing it up and to the right. It's so different now. So calling is that thing that God puts in you that you can't not do. Um, A career is always looking for the pay raise and the promotion and going to a bigger church and maybe having your church profiled in Christianity Today, you know, it's making a career for yourself out of ministry. And this is a relatively new phenomenon, by the way. I think it has to do with the secularization of the church, which we've seen that in all sorts of different ways. And I think seeing ministry as a career and the church as a place for for career um, and career development, um, it's part of looking at the church in secular ways. Wow. Uh, and I think if you don't have that differentiation, you can feel like, oh, if, if I'm working this full-time job, mm-hmm. but I feel like I have this calling, I, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who's 65. He's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. He works in finance. You know, He helps yeah. people mm-hmm. invest and make money. But he's a shepherd. That, that's mm-hmm. his calling. It's so clear. Everyone yeah. who knows him knows that he is. So he got this new uh, boss who asked him, what do you love doing? Mm-hmm. And so he shared with them. Mm -hmm. And then it was so compelling to this new boss that he said, I'd like you to do that here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he's still helping people invest, but he sees himself as a shepherd Mm -hmm. in his workplace. And I think there's a way in which we need to expand Mm -hmm. that you can live out your calling no matter what vacation you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know the church has become secularized and then we've, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then we have removed any sense of the spirituality from, from secular, secular, secular work. And so both need to be redeemed, right? Yes. Um, the church is not a place for people to, you know, experience career success. Um, and in the same way, a secular job can be a place that has a deep spirituality to it, mm-hmm. a deep sense of calling to it. 
So one of the things that's kind of fascinating in the life of Moses is that he seems to get in touch with his calling when he kills that guy out of mm-hmm. anger. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the ways in yeah. which he, mm-hmm. he, he senses it. Um, but there's a difference between mm-hmm. really living into your calling and just being super angry and yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. Talk, would you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, well, when I look at Moses... I think it's pretty clear that being angry is not the same thing as being called, right? <laughs> and I think sometimes we think that, you know, because I'm angry about something, I'm going to go out and do something about it in my own human strength and effort and out of my own unresolved stuff, which is what we see in Moses, yeah. that he does try to meet a need. He does see an injustice and he tries to, you know, tries to deal with it, but he does it out of such an unresolved place that he brings more anger to the world. And don't you think that's where we are in the culture right now, where um, nobody's doing anything from any sort of a deeply spiritual or wise or loving place. It's, it's, it's angry, and everybody feels vulnerable. Everybody on both sides of everything feels vulnerable, but because, we're, because we are vulnerable, but it feels like such a frightening cultural milieu, everybody's just powering up, and the rhetoric is mean and nasty, and um, wow, wow. Um, it's sobering, though, because I don't think that the things that God brings through for the kingdom come through that kind of spirit. So I think what that means is that many of us are going to have to do some really good work working through our anger, just like Moses had to do before we can actually be a redemptive force or a redemptive element in our culture. I agree. And I think I don't hear you saying anger is bad. No. Certainly, when there is injustice, anger is appropriate. Mm-hmm. It just can't be the fuel that can that that fuels you for your entire life of calling because that that's not how God works. No, and I think violence begets violence. Yes. So that's the other thing is that when we use violent rhetoric and mean spiritedness and all of that, that's never going to beget love. It's never going to beget community, you know? It's never going to beget trustworthy relationships out of which something good could actually come. And because, you know, we're we're taping it this in the month in which we celebrate the, the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that was, I think, what was extraordinary about what he did, was that he kept calling people back to love. Um, not that he was never angry, and not that, the, but he kept calling people to the better way, which is why the book of his sermons is called "Strength to Love," because he was calling people to be strong with love, um, and to be strong from the soul. You know, that's why he said, "We will, we will use soul force. Mm-hmm. We will use the force that comes from this place within, where God's spirit is witnessing with our spirits about things that are true, but it's coming forth out of love, for ourselves and for others and for the world in which we live." Um, I am. I find myself these days just longing for someone else to emerge mm-hmm. who brings what they bring in the spirit that Dr. King brought it in, because I think we are desperate for that kind of spiritual leadership relative to justice than what it is that we're living in right now. Couldn't agree more. May, may it be so. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. Yeah. So we've we've talked about the conundrum of calling is partly paying attention to your desire. It's a lot of leaning into who you were created to be, belonging to the one who created you, then doing what God calls you to do. But there's another aspect of calling that Moses has to wrestle with. He argues with God mm-hmm. for a couple of chapters. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, calling isn't always, yes, now mm-hmm. I get to do the thing I always wanted right. to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it is scary. And yeah. it, when you really understand it, it's going to require much more of you than you think you have to bring. Talk yes. about Moses's mm-hmm. argument with God. Yeah. Well, we know that 
there's this amazing dialogue that God and Moses have, and I'm sure many of those pastors who are listening have preached, even preached on this subject before. But Moses is convinced that he's not the one when God tells him that he wants him to go back to Egypt and bring the people out. Moses has some really good arguments to make. Number one, he's actually in danger because he left. Um, and so he's going back to the place of his greatest pain. Do we realize that? Do we realize that that God's call on Moses's life was for him to go back to his place of greatest pain and to face that household where he had experienced great pain? Um, and then to be brave and courageous in the face of that and to say, I'm going to take my people out of here. Um, what God was calling him to is pretty extraordinary. And yet it was connected with his identity. It was connected with his essential self. It was even connected with who he was by birth and, and ethnicity. So um, Moses didn't want to do this, and for all sorts of good reasons. He didn't want to return to the place of his greatest pain. He was probably he probably had a pretty good existence now, calm, peaceful. Why would I want to stir it up again? Why yeah. would I want to go back? Um, he didn't feel he was gifted in the right ways. He didn't want to be the one to speak to Pharaoh and to try to argue it out with him and to present his case. He didn't feel he had the verbal skills to do that. Um, he didn't think he had the power. He also doubted whether or not the people would respond to his leadership, and and rightly so, right. because the last time he was there, they did not respond to his leadership, because they had seen his dark side, they had seen his violence, and they had rejected his leadership and said, "When you lead, somebody gets killed. Never mind, we don't want that." Right. So Moses is saying, "How am I going to convince them that I am the one to lead them now? How are they going to know that I've been transformed enough, you know, to be the one to lead?" So he had really, really good arguments, and he kept bringing them to God, and God kept having an answer. Uh, God did eventually get a little irritated with Moses, too, because Moses refused <laughs> to trust him. So we could note that God really doesn't like it when we refuse to trust him. He really wants us to trust him. And what's interesting is to see all of God's responses. Mark, um, Moses had four different arguments, mm -hmm. and each argument, God answered him, and the answer was always some version of the idea, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. It's not about you and your strength and your ability to speak. Um, it is not about how the people will view you. It is all about what I will do in and through you. And so there's this great paradox of leadership that's right here, and that is that leadership is all about us, and it's not about us at all. Yep. It's all about us simply because we're the one that God chose. There could have been somebody better. There probably is somebody better. Doesn't matter. God chose you. So it's all about you because God chose you to do it, period. And it's not about you at all because it's about what God is going to do in and through you as you are surrendered to him. And I think that is quite the paradoxical place to live. That's well said. And mm -hmm. thank you. I don't trust people that say, it's not about me, mm -hmm. and then just leave it at that. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. of course it is, I yeah. mean, and it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's really right. well said. Um, and I think it's interesting that Moses needs to be told four times that I will be with you. Because mm -hmm. there's a later episode in Moses' life where God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you go to the promised land. Mm -hmm. Everybody can go. Have at it. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to go with you. Yeah. And then Moses says, uh, if you don't go with us, mm -hmm. then... I'm out, yeah. you know? So that becomes the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Moses learns really is the resource that he needs. And yeah. we're going to find out mm -hmm. that more and more. Um, my last question, Ruth, is I, I think in all of this, in the conundrum of calling, at some point we face our limits. And I think Moses maybe gets the gift of facing it on the front edge, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. Mm -hmm. That is the place of my greatest pain. Mm -hmm. No one's going to uh, listen to me anyway. Mm -hmm. How is it that limits uh, 
can actually be gifts mm -hmm. to a leader as they wrestle with their calling? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that discernment is found in listening to our limits. You know, that, that that's how God shows us what he wants us to do and not to do yeah. is by inviting us to live within limits. Um, being in touch with our limits is also very humbling. Um, and so for a leader to be willing to humbly submit to their life within the limits that God has given them and created for their life can be a, a way that God keeps us very humble. And of course, the Apostle Paul acknowledges a limitation and says that the reason that limitation is there is because it keeps me dependent on the power of God. And we need that, you know, especially leader types who think that we're going to accomplish it all on our own and we're going to get it done and all that, to have a place of limitation that keeps us in touch with humility and it keeps us aware of ourselves as uh, as creatures in the presence of our creator is is really a powerful thing and i think it's very freeing too it's very freeing at some point to say you know what i just can't do that the limits of my person and of myself don't allow me to do that and i believe that you know others are going to rise up and do what i can't do if i'm willing to live within my limits so it's a place of profound trust in god and also in the body of christ and god's ability to raise up people to do what god is calling them to do and what is needed to be done in our world. And it doesn't all reside with us. Thank God. Thank God. Yes. I feel like mm -hmm. in my late forties, I really honestly am mm -hmm. finally learning those things. Yeah. And it is a huge mm -hmm. relief it is. Yeah. and a huge gift. Mm -hmm. And far from the response being, oh no, how will that get done? Yeah. If people are rising up and saying, yeah. oh, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah, and exactly. thank you for giving mm -hmm. me that opportunity. Yes. So it really is a win for everybody, but it comes through some pain mm -hmm. and some loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, at first. Uh, well, lead us in a final prayer, if you would. Well, actually, this one is going to be a poem. Beautiful. I do love poems. Um, and this one is a, is a poem by Rilke, who many of us love. And so I invite you to see yourself, perhaps, in this, um, in this particular poem. I believe in all that has never yet been spoken. I want to free what waits within me so that what no one has dared to wish for may for once spring clear without my contriving. If this is arrogant, God, forgive me, but this is what I need to say. May what I do flow from me like a river, no forcing and no holding back the way it is with children. Then in these swelling and ebbing currents, these deepening tides moving out, returning, I will sing you as no one ever has, streaming through widening channels into the open sea. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening and being a part of our conversation today. As part of the launch of the expanded edition of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, we're offering some special bonuses when you purchase the book. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit us at transformingcenter.org for details. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love to know. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and subscribe so that you will automatically receive upcoming episodes.